This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 38. This episode features Ellen Hackle-Fagan. Ellen Hackle-Fagan is the founder and director of Odetta Art Gallery. Odetta exhibits works by mid-career artists who have honed their craft and their vision. Special interest is given to contemporary painting, glyphs, music, color, field, Buddha mind, minimalness, playfulness, and encyclopedic obsessiveness. If you listened a few episodes back, I had the episode with Chris Clapper and Patrick Gallagher. Um, and their art is currently on at Odetta. Their exhibit is called Data at a Data, Three Sphere. Um, and this is the final week to check it out. Odetta is located at 229 Cook, right here in Brooklyn, Bushwick. Um, usually I record all the episodes in the Rack Shack, but this one I actually went to Odetta and recorded the interview with Ellen there. I had a great time talking with her, um, and I look forward to collaborating with her and talking and seeing what they're doing at the gallery in the future. So, without further ado, this is Ellen Hackle Fagan from the Odetta Art Gallery. Let's have a conversation. (laughs) Yay, we have liftoff. (laughs) So, yeah, so I'm just going to keep it rolling now. Okay, yeah. Got it going. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tempt fate. Yeah, don't. The fates, whatever. <laughs> the eye of Horus is helping us right now. Don't screw it up. You know, <laughs> the gods of uh, Game of Thrones and uh, Battlestar Galactica. Um, yeah, we're not going to, you know, we're not, not going to mess, mess with, with it. <laughs> so, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, this glad we've got this rolling here you know it's kind of appropriate that there were technical issues um we're sitting literally in the middle of the installation um exploring kind of technology and mathematics uh through art yeah so i i deal with a lot of that yeah yeah and i i don't mind you don't mind uh, technical issues or... Right. I yeah. mean, I think it's just another language. So it's, you know, it's good to apply it. Yeah. It gives... Problem solving. Well, and just being open to it, you know, uh, you do have to definitely jerry-rig things pretty regularly. And there's always glitches and false starts <laughs> throughout, yeah. throughout the course of an exhibition like this one, you know. Also, I think uh, through the course of uh, a life, you know, and trying to (laughs) figure it all out, trying to, you know, find the path, stay on the path. uh, Yeah. You know? Totally. I mean... Or be open to that the path isn't one path, you know, that it's a journey. I'm one of those individuals that started out where TV was really new and not in every household. And we got our first tape recorder when I was a kid. My dad got it, and we all were playing with the tape recorder, you know, like a cassette tape recorder, press play to record, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, just seeing how many iterations there have been in technology since I was a kid, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. And it just keeps on stacking up. Yeah. Um... So, speaking on that, like thinking of, like television was definitely the big, the big, I mean, radio before that, but I think television changed the shape of society probably, like that was the technological event of, of the last century. And then this one, I think, I mean, I guess it was still the last century where it started, but like the phones, um, the internet, um, we're getting into like virtual reality. It seems like we're on the like we're already on the verge of of the next major thing. Or I think we're in the middle of it, you know? I think it also seems like, you know, the path of technology 
follows affluence. You know, after these world wars and we started gaining affluence, um, the television ended up in people's homes and they didn't have to go out on the porch and be with their neighbors anymore. They, they could enjoy their family without connecting with the neighbors quite so deeply. And now we've really kind of hit the end of that trajectory where especially VR with a helmet mm -hmm. on, with full experience without connecting, it makes it um, very tempting not to have just a face-to-face -face conversation with your neighbor and get to know your neighbor or even your family members anymore. And I always think that's a that's an issue of affluence. Um, yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, just kind of that community, um, tech, affluence, um, lack thereof, like uh, Odetta Gallery started this four years ago? Yeah, four years, yeah. But I had curated prior to that always was interested in what other artists are up to related to ideas that I'm interested in and just, you know, you can't have just one maker focus on these big ideas, you know, so what's the sea of makers doing around this idea that's of interest to me. And, um, and then also just the idea of beautiful objects being made by human beings and um, whether half of it's machine made or not, it's still human driven and there's this motivation to communicate something nine times out of 10 quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is, is pretty terrific how humans still have this desire to connect about making things and beauty and that gift, handing each other a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it goes back like through civilization. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of new theories, like we were talking about um, the Eye of Horus and stuff like that. Um, there's some theories, and these are like science-based theories that like uh, the current or the, the last century, like late century, the current timeline that people had for Egypt was one thing, but now there's certain like, um, geological scientists that are like looking at like watermarks on the sphinx so not from like uh anthrop anthropological um but from more of like a scientific like based on the watermarks on the sphinx that like they think like civilization might go back further than we and advanced civilization might go back further than we thought mm -hmm. um and one thing that i kind of think about is the idea of Atlantis, the idea of like um, Noah's Ark, this idea of civilizations falling, those two are like more predate written history in a way. Um, and whether or not like Noah's Ark, you know, not that that's a historical thing, but I think both of those ideas kind of represent the fall of civilization mm -hmm. and definitely like talking about the idea of Atlantis and um, the Egyptians and the Mayans, uh, even more recent history, you have like the Roman civilization, like civilizations rise and fall. And I think like the Romans, we have a lot of stuff, um, but if we were to look at our, where we're, we're at right now, technologically, um, it's, it's so far advanced of where we were as like human beings a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. But the difference is a lot of the stuff that we're building now is not built to last versus like our grandparents, the stuff they built was built to last. Right. So like if we were to fall now or like soon, like if we were to like lose a lot of the, like if we were to lose, if there was some kind of major electronic collapse somehow. Um, if we were to lose all of that, a lot of the stuff that's happened over the last like 50 years, but really like the last, well, my lifetime, and like it's crazy um, in my lifetime, like thinking like every decade, like a major acceleration, right. but it would be lost. 
like the stuff would disintegrate like most of it within like a hundred years I would probably say you know I mean who knows rendered like, useless yeah completely junked yeah yeah and so then what would be left mm -hmm. and then like if if humans survived and then a thousand years later we're like looking back on it because there weren't written records on this stuff it was all digital yeah what would they think you know like where would they put us at because I think a lot of people look back at ancient things and like you know they were advanced because they were able to build great works of art um, right. great uh, architectural structures but we don't think it's possible that they had technology that we don't know about you know right and right. I think maybe they did like we, we just and it's lost you know right it, it disintegrated mm -hmm. yeah and so all that was left was the incision in the rock exactly you know and we look at that and go boy that was great it's lasted thousands of years but we don't think there was more yeah <laughs> and it's like the question of why did they build those things like why did they why were they but like we do it too we build things because we can like as far as like city development yeah. we keep building things like yeah you know well that that insatiable curiosity right like yeah. um would this work that's why i always say that i may have said it to you at the artist talk um just in passing to you but i feel that artists and physicists are very closely related in terms of the way our brains work because we ask what if and then we try and make it we actually try to make it yeah and um and i think that's why um, i'm interested often in artists like chris and patrick showing people that are curious about physics or larger mathematical ideas that um, normally can't be seen by the human eye and then they try to make it yeah <laughs> which is very much tied to the imagination I mean maybe that's why we do it generation after generation is just to fuel our imagination it's that big of a draw as human beings I think that's what separates us from most animals is imagination at least we assume we probably aren't right on that but well i think um you know going back to like there was a time when before religion became religion like if you especially if you go back to more ancient cultures um but i think like religions i think they all start at the same origin but like the medicine person and like if you go back to tribes they were they were like the medicine per they were the scientists they were the priest and they were the doctors like kind of all and also in a way a lot of times they were the artist too sometimes. or the performer mm -hmm. yeah um yeah yeah so uh this holistic approach to creativity and expressing the imagination yeah yeah and the idea of humans being created in the likeness of God, basically, like that idea to me is because we're a part of, we're a part of everything and we're also self-aware and that self-awareness seems to make us separate in a way. Like, you know, we're not, we have the same things that other animals need, like the same basic requirements to breathe, to eat, you know, to find shelter. Um, but then we question the nature of our reality. And maybe they do, um, but they seem to be more live in tune with it, you know? At least by our observation. Yeah. And we don't spend enough time really putting any importance there. I was reading today on the flight, um, hear about Shintoism a little bit and animism uh, and how important that is to that sect of the Buddhist culture in Japan and uh, basically their their point ultimately is that every object has a living I agree aspect. with that. I do too. Um, um, so 
it seems to be common, like kind of common sense to me, like sort of with what we know about physics and like with where we are understanding of the world right now, like being able to look at things, being able to literally um, send satellites and spaceships to space and be able to observe, have telescopes to be able to observe and see what's out there and to be able to like take microscopes and look at what's within and the same structures like at least for my observation like are like on a quantum level they are like it is a universe inside of yourself um and at a macro level the world like some people believe the earth is an organism also and i think it is like sure we're living on it you know what i mean yeah and just like there are tiny things that molecular um, and like even structure. like at a cellular level yeah. there's like there's organisms on us all the like you know what i mean like yeah. that we can't see um, right, right. but like a cell is the same like a single cell which is like what we consider for whatever reason i don't know why we decided a cell is the smallest life form when an atom also from what we, like the idea of like that you have a crust Mm-hmm. And then you have a core. Okay. Like that's a cell, you know? Right. And like the earth has a crust and it has a core. And that core is like hot and powerful. And that's kind of like you can keep breaking down subatomic particles and they're these little, at least maybe they're not, you know what I mean? But the way we observe them now, you know, I'm not up to the latest, you know what I mean? Right. On but I believe there's like a lot of spheres within spheres, you know? Right, and hence, you know, again, what they were talking about at the artist talk on, on Sunday is how they believe that the universe might be, if we could get a distant enough view shaped like a torus with the spheres within the spheres within the spheres all revolving. I mean, it makes sense that you would believe or want to believe that we're on this planet and we're held here from, with gravity but we adapted and we live here. Yeah. So our cellular structure is probably very compatible to the Earth's cellular structure, hence the habitat worked yeah. for our animals, who we are, Yeah. to evolve. Um, yeah, I, I, I like to think about big ideas like that yeah. and just let the mind expand and also go in to the micro level. Yeah. And it's interesting, I was talking to somebody about something along those lines earlier. We were talking about spirituality and science and like kind of having the perspective of how, like having the perspective of of how small and insignificant we are in a way, like just how small we are compared to the vast, like, infinite like existence of of the universe um but on the other hand because we are here and we are conscious like to me like like to me that humbling thing is like that's reason to like try to live your life with meaning like try to make the most of it Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. because it's it's a moment you know what I mean yeah yeah uh, were you raised with a religion? Not really. Like, uh, like yeah, technically, um, we d- did go to like a, well, I wouldn't say a traditional church. We went to, it was technically a Baptist church, and this is in Seattle. Um, but it was a welcoming and affirming church open to like all people and all faiths. Uh-huh. So it was never it was never on the like believe in Jesus or you're going to go to hell thing at all. Okay. It was political. Um, so it was a lot dealt with a lot of like the sermons were basically, here's this Bible passage. Here's this story. And here's what's going on right now in the world Mm -hmm. and a parable from this ancient story. Like here's how it relates to right now. So it was like political. And then they, opened their doors to like refugees um 
and went to protests. Um, uh, yeah, like made the news a lot of times for very political things. Um, and really socially active. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was my understanding. And, and I was baptized into that. And then for the longest time, like as a young adult, I would like I would call myself Christian, but like with a caveat. And then over time, I'm just like, I don't want to be called that. Not just because I don't like the way like it's largely per, uh, perpetuated, um, but because also there's like a lot of things that I like. There's a lot of other faiths and spiritual practices that I find um, beautiful. And I don't like to me and my understanding. I don't. I don't find contradiction between yeah. like what I, when I'm reading them and approaching them for myself. Like, right, I, right. you know. So I, I find it sad the amount of war and the amount of division. Right, right. In the name of faith, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What about you? Raised Catholic, and just going back to that molecular thing and insignificance and humbling, there's, uh, there is a, uh, at the beginning of Lent, uh, a day called Ash Wednesday. Yeah. And so they, they place ashes on your forehead and they say, remember, man, that you are dust and into dust you shall return. So it's just letting you know. Yeah. You are nowhere as significant as you think you are. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, 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 nowadays I really enjoy the rituals mm-hmm. in a lot of religions. I'm not actively participating in anything specific, but I did join a choir this nice. past year because it fits with the gallery schedule and I finally got to a choir. That was a bucket list item. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that religion should never be tied to money. And I know I'm running a gallery, but I don't think art should ever be tied to money. I think it's one of the money is this leveling factor that really uh, goes against the grain of real creativity often. Um, sometimes you hit it big and you make a lot of money like Stephen Jobs did. But in general, um, it'd be nice if it wasn't affiliated with money. Um, So I feel that way about the big ideas, love, art, you know, yeah, life, death. Yeah. It's Uh, like, it's, it's really interesting as a, like, even because it's like, you know, you want to make a living as an artist and find a way to do that. Like, but I mean, I think what that comes down to is like, if you have the need to make the art, you want to be able to have the time and space to do that. Right. And so if you can make your living doing that, that certainly makes it like easier. Yeah. Um, But then on the other hand, where that can get tricky is if you're making if you just shift your focus too much on making the money and forget why you're making the art, like you're not making the art solely for money. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying like there's different types of artists and different approaches, but I feel like, like whatever you do like in life, like if you can find a way to find the thing that you are passionate about doing, like, keep doing that thing like at all costs that's the thing to pursue right right. and like usually like things will work out like you know who knows how they work out but your life will have meaning if you at least do the like answer your calling you know yes and I I don't know I'm just thinking about Bob Dylan how he's been on the endless tour in order to stay ahead of the money because if he gets too tied to something that wants to keep him pigeonholed and categorized, he feels he'll lose his ability and freedom to create 
freely. Yeah. And, and that's most important to him. So a lot of times uh, it seems that once an artist does hit the big money, it becomes a real conflict to creativity for them. And yeah. sometimes their band will break up or whatever. <laughs> their yeah. manager, Leonard Cohen, wanted to go, you know, meditate on the mountaintop while his manager siphoned off all of his holdings and had yeah. to go on tour again, you know? I've, so I've there's even... that dichotomy with those bigger, the, the profound human, what do I want to say? Uh, that our, our, our profound resources that we have as humans with imagination and creativity, money can be the, the, the thing that really tamps it down yeah. and makes it so regular, that so predictable, so formulaic, that it no longer has authenticity in terms of an expressiveness by that human that started it. You know, they walk away. Duchamp walked away, supposedly, you know. Yeah. It goes on and on, these, these events. So it's hard because running a gallery, um, the first show I opened here, I opened for Bushwick Open Studios, and it was just this real push of a long-held dream. And I was finally realizing it. And the first question out of somebody's mouth was, did you sell anything? Now, I had a packed opening. Nobody knew me from Adam. And all of a sudden, everybody heard about Odetta, the gallery, and wanted to check it out. I had hundreds of requests for studio visits that first year. Like, I was all of a sudden some real expert out there, which I had not anticipated any of it. But that first question was, did you sell anything? And I was like, oh man, that's the real job here. It's not about curating, it's not about the art. And um, I'm still trying to solve that problem, but um, I have a hard time not wanting to be that person that says to an artist, let's get your bigger idea that's never been seen out. Let's do that. Um, so it's hard to get that to make a lot of money when you're the first one showing it time and again, but it definitely feeds the soul. Yeah. Feeds the heart. Makes me want to continue. I like that. I can't help it. Like art fairs are, you know, all uh, real, you know, clearly defined path to money, but I don't have a staff. So art fairs, I mean, that would be a year's worth of rent just to pull off a major art fair with experimental work. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's like, that's suicide. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Because I want to keep creating with artists. I don't, I, the sales I feel will come, but we need like three to four passes of it. So four years in, I haven't had enough time, but. Yeah. Um, it's really like I remember a time in, in uh, I don't know, a few years under New York, and a series of things exploded in my life, and like I thought I had, I thought I, like I thought I had this other job lined up, and this was like a singing serving job, and I I had it. it long story, but I quit this singing bartending job like pretty epically um, and just kind of exploded a number of things. And then like a number of other things fell through. And so I found myself just like in the middle of winter, um, just like, what am I gonna do now? And um, basically, yeah, I was talking to my mom and she was like, well, you might have to pound the pavement. And I was like, no, like, I don't know what it was, but something in me at that time was just like, the mental state I was in was just, if I started pounding the pavement, but like, didn't have luck right away, it would further take me down kind of a negative spiral. And so I knew 
counterintuitive to like, some people will say this, but I knew that I had to like, I just had to like take care of myself for a little while, like, and trust that everything would work out and everything did work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think as artists, that's super important yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I have great trust in what my approach here, because the work is extraordinary every time and it just keeps building keeps growing the this this ability to draw in artists that become even more and more skilled at what they're doing and they're approaching me that just it's a ladder i'm looking at this ladder build and um it's it's exciting sales are tough right now though um we've we've had a real you know, drop in sales once the um, new president took uh, took his residency at the White House. Things really dropped, and um, sometimes I see signs of that recovering, but it doesn't have the legs under it. And from what I understand, um, the 80s were when it was really flush in the art world for uh, experimental work to get artists paid for what they do um well maybe that'll come back around but there's there's that real attack of on arts kind of happening mm-hmm. it happens i mean i feel like sometimes i feel like it's a constant attack like especially, i think it's a constant attack in this country yeah because people feel that money is more important than artists right and they and they just hold to that line. Other parts of the world, it, artists are revered. Just, well, yeah, like historically, you know. <laughs> like it's the like art is the sign of an advanced culture. Like art is in every like when we're studying like ancient cultures, we're looking at the art a lot of times. You know, yeah. we look at the technology, but the art, like yeah. it tells the stories. It. And art and technology are always together. Um, But yeah, uh, it it is something where I feel oftentimes like you look at different genocidal episodes in civilizations and the first people taken out are the artists, the educators, the thinkers, the professionals. It's like they're a, a real threat to whatever's going on yeah. <laughs> at the top levels of government. So they get killed off, but um, it just, I don't know why, but in the United States, I always say it's a puritanical vestige mm-hmm. that um, because we are creators, we're challenging our power against a God's power and therefore we should not be doing that like tamp that down you're nowhere near god's stature don't even think about it whereas i think if there is a god that's why we do have an imagination that's the power we were given so yeah yeah i think that's one of the um that's one of the other things that i haven't liked about the way religion's been like used throughout the world to kind of keep people down sometimes and that's what i disagree with because like again like like christianity like that's one that comes to mind just off the bat like if you read it one way i think there's like a lot of things in it that are very like specifically like if you look at a lot of the quotes of jesus it's like stuff about not judging other people yeah that's like one of the main messages is like don't (laughs) be a hypocrite right yet how it's like used a lot of times is the most hypocritical like way ever you know so absolutely um so yeah I have a hard time with that but I've you know that's a also another thing that unfortunately most organized religions have in common is that like the downfall of them is that they start to get well here's you know well my way is the best way like and if you're not with it you're wrong and you know whatever direction they go from there yeah sometimes there's nothing scarier than an open mind yeah um 
So what do you want to do in the future with uh, the gallery? Like you mentioned something about a writing component at one point. Yeah, um, well, uh, I think what I'd like to do is try to, again, part of my nature is that um, I feel this curatorial effort that I'll call a gallery, it's probably misnamed, I think I'm an accidental gallerist. I'm really a person that likes to create exhibitions. So in the, in the term of being a curator, um, it's to be of service to artists. It's, it's to say uh, their work has to be seen. It really should be seen and it should be seen now and I'm gonna present it in this context so that not only the artist sees their work with new eyes, but their community sees it with new eyes. And I feel that another supportive effort that I'd like to provide for artists would be a written component because we seem to really need that in, in terms of an exhibition to have something that's written, ideally published about the work, just adds this stamp of affirmation that it indeed was important in this point in history. So making history uh, for an artist, it's a draw for me. Um, I don't know quite how it's going to happen or manifest, but I certainly reach out to press all the time right now. So there is that, but maybe in the form of uh, an invitational, a curated written component at times that gets that writing community to be actively engaged within a gallery context because they were um, sort of up against their peers in the same way that the artists are. There's a certain component that's competitive um, in a good way. Yeah. There's recognition involved, I guess. Is, um, so I'd like to see that written component. If, if I ended up without enough funds to keep the gallery going, the first thing I would do is start writing about art because I wouldn't need the overhead costs that I've got right now, but I could still support artists and talk about their work in a lucid way and make those comparisons and those connections for them. Yeah. So that'd be phase two. Nice. Um, what's coming up in the gallery after data, data, data? Three sphere. Um, I am a colorist. I'm a painter, um, and I really, I felt that I, I took a five-year lease on this space, and I thought in my last year I cannot exit if I have to exit without talking about color more seriously. So I did a call to several artists that I considered colorists and they submitted work. And out of that, I really ended up with seven exhibitions, but I'm aiming to get four uh, done here. So in the fall, we're gonna open with Mesmerize, and that's the second of the four color shows. And my lease comes due uh, at the end of April, and I'm working on what the next step will be. I hope that it'll continue here. I did this build out. I'd love to stay here, but the New York story of rent and gentrification is is just something that you're always Aware kind of, of yeah. treading water around. So, um, But I, I do have some news. I don't know if I can go ahead and I'm, I talked to this person and, and we said it'd be all right. Um, I'm entering into a partnership with another gallerist, and we're going to announce it beyond your program uh, coming up in the next week. And it's uh, Michael David over at David and Schweitzer Contemporary. And we're going to join forces and try and ride this rocky, the rough waters of the L train closure and really build our curatorial voice, perhaps our written voice um, and also give one another support so that as painters we can put some time into our own work without stopping this 
this call to curate and, and build opportunities for artists that help them grow and they help us grow. It's like being a good teacher. Your students help you grow. So it's the same, same idea. Yeah. Um, where's the best place for people to follow, follow you, follow the gallery? Oh boy, um, I'm always working on that. I, I would say really come here yeah. <laughs> because the art is tangible right? and it's here. And that's what this is all about. Of course, we live in a world where everything's on a screen. Um, so you can follow the gallery on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and my website, the gallery website. Um, and any press that we do garner. Um, and uh, one thing I do try to do to get people here is offer a lot of related events. So usually every exhibition there's about three or four additional opportunities to the opening that you would come, whoa. Yeah. That's hurricane-like. Dang. Um, so those events would ideally bring people in for repeated looks. Um, I feel that the best art becomes the best because it's been seen multitudinous times and then it becomes a part of the language of what art is. So. It was cool talking with Patrick and Chris um, both like I would talk to them in passing about having them on the pod and they were keeping me updated on when they were opening here and then sitting down for the podcast talking to them about the art and then coming to the talk last Sunday I think it was uh -huh. yeah. um, and seeing the art like and the talk and yeah getting a deeper appreciation for it yeah and also because we were sitting listening to the talk and looking at like I was had a view of the three sphere the whole time the talk was happening yeah, so it's a whole experience. It is, and uh, most of the art that I sell, I sell online by buyers that never set foot in the gallery. Yeah. So, so that tells me that my audience is really artists, um, and the buyers oftentimes they're buying with other people's money. They're hired to buy. And of course the work is good. It's, I'm publishing all of that. I, I mean, and the artists have to give me good photos, but. Um, That's where the cuts to the funding, I think get hard because yeah, when people have, when there's like an art budget and like it, you know, such a ripple effect. Like if there's an art budget, um, then yeah, like companies end up with, you know, it's a good thing for everybody. Um, it's frustrating. Somebody was talking about that. It might've been at that artist talk, but that like it, with the attack on arts, if people keep cutting it, then like the politicians, um, shouldn't be allowed to listen to music or they shouldn't be able to consume. Yeah. That art was if, at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was a great, uh, it's true though. Real I mean, it's like if you think example. of like if art, you know, if you work hard, like at whatever job, usually in your leisure time, it's like be it watching Netflix, be it listening to music, be it going to museums um, or plays or movies. It's usually some form or <laughs> of art or entertainment. Um, that you do for fun you know right? it's like not for money you're having a war on fun like what's the what's the deal here you yeah. know yeah it also it's the tangibility part that um ultimately people are most drawn to when they do start to become a real collector they, they need it in their lives. They need that object or that, that, that packaged video piece that is directly connected to the artist. They want that, 
connection to the artist because that artist made them feel something inexplicable within them that drives their, you know, gets their cells moving, you know? So just like falling in love, you know? (laughs) And how do you put a price on it? It's hard to really equate that to money. And people try all the time, but there's innumerable stories of fraud and spin around all of it. But getting people to, in this country, feel comfortable around art is another big challenge, is how to make it accessible so that they do see themselves in it. And like minimalism, for example, one of my favorite things as I grow older as an artist, it keeps opening up more and more. And oftentimes I'll get somebody relatively um, new to viewing and experiencing art that'll have something to say that's a little derogatory uh, about minimalism. And I'll say to them, one of the keys to minimalism is that it's basically holding up a mirror to you. Every time you approach it on that given day, whatever you bring when you're viewing it is what you're taking back from it. And um, you're learning about yourself when you're looking at that work of art or experiencing it. And when they realize that it is about empathy, then they get very excited that, wow, it is for me. I never thought about it. I didn't think it could be. It seemed way too snobby and austere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, are you cold? You want me to turn? No, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess as a curator and as a painter, um, I just hope to keep building the language and hope that more and more people get as passionate about it as I am. I want them to walk in here and realize that there's something in here for me. What are the uh, hours of Odetta? So Friday, Bushwick's a weekend uh, neighborhood for art, generally speaking. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 1 to 6, and by appointment. And um, when I am changing shows, one of the things that I do that's a little unusual is um, we do significant installations in here and they're very time consuming. So I usually have a weekend closure where we're in show change and the artists come in, they get a key and it's really their studio at that point. This is their voice, they're bringing it in and they really get a lot out of having that downtime away from their studio working on their art in the space where it's going to be shown for the first time. And that's very important that uh, we have that time. So you can tell I have a really crappy business model. I mean, it's just bad, but. <laughs> no, it's good. I think um, it's good to be forward thinking. You know, like I think there's a lot of it's frustrating. Like, that's like a thing that's really frustrating to me about the world and specifically like this country is a lot of, there's a lot of things that could be better if we just approached it more forward thinking, more long term, you know? Yeah. Like the money even, it's like by being cheap and by being stingy and by being just overly concerned about the immediate bottom line, we end up like with a healthcare system that costs way more than it should. Like if we were just, there's just so many things, you know? Right. Um, You have to invest in the infrastructure. We don't, we constantly cut things. Yeah. Um, Except for the, like, except for the military, (laughs) like. Right, um, right. So, and the waste there is incredible. Like yeah. just the the tools. Sometimes you'll get those. What does it cost to have a, a carabiner? You know, through the military, and it's like four hundred and seventy dollars, and you can get it at any hardware store for 
three ninety nine. Yeah. You know, um, medicine too. Yeah. Medicine too, uh, and um, yeah, I I also do want to say though, in in defense of that kind of open mind and ambitious opportunity. I have sold uh, two major sculptures through these solo shows so far. And those were sold online. So that little thumbnail photo reached out and grabbed a designer working for someone else for a specific job. So it can happen. Uh, and um, it's always super well-deserved. Yeah. on the artist's part. It's not like they were an overnight sensation. <laughs> yeah. They've been working at it, and it shows. But um, So I'm very hopeful that Chris and Patrick and I get the kind of commission that we keep talking about for this large Taurus piece. Uh, yeah. You know, this is uh, projected plane. I, I, I really think that it's possible to make it a public work that people can walk through. My mother, I was just visiting her and she goes, well, that would be architecture then. Right. And I said, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Good design is good design, mm -hmm. whether it's beyond human scale so that humans can walk through it and within it or uh, from a viewing point on the outside of it. Yeah. Good design is good design. What do we care if it's architecture or art? We right. don't care. Where's, do we? Where's the line? Like is there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she, she was open to hearing that. She's yeah. always, she's always uh, an excellent teacher and a real devil's advocate with me on topics of art. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I, um, I guess what I want to kind of get out into the, into the world is, is this concept about quality that, um, I have the good fortune of being a draw for artists that have, most of them have put about 30 plus years into their, their art mm -hmm. development so far. So the level of quality is, again, um, it's just off the charts and it's consistent. So um, I do want to say that a lot of times people feel cheated by art. You get, again, the bad press side of things. But what I'm showing in Bushwick is quality. And, um, and the, nobody's cut any corners, ever. You know, and for the most part, like, I have a lot of artists, friends in Bushwick, obviously, and it's like, most artists I know work really hard. Yeah. Like, Harder you know? than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that is one thing I want to say. Um, I lost my father two and a half months ago. Wonderful businessman. Also a visionary guy, though. So about 20 years ago or more, I had a solo show and in my hometown, Indianapolis. I had a gallery there for five minutes. And so he saw me I got family in Indianapolis. Alex, no, he was I... the first was from there. Oh, really? So, yeah, what, yeah. what street? I don't know. That, oh, okay. that I don't know. I was just there visiting my mom because she's recently widowed. Um, but anyway, um, so he was driving me around for some reason because uh, I was in from out of town. So he go, saw me going through all the iterations of getting the work shipped, getting the work installed. I had three young children, just all of those juggles that went on. And uh, of course, some sales because it's my hometown, but uh, certainly uh, just barely covering my costs, let's say. And, um, and so he goes, you know, Ellen, from a business standpoint, you work really hard, but I've got to give you an F. And he goes, what do you have to say to that? And here we go back to religion. I said, well, what if I was a priest and I was working this hard? 
and I put this on. Would you still give me enough? And he goes, no, is that the way I'm supposed to think of it? And I said, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, this is, I said, this is a calling. This is not about your bottom line. It's a different bottom line. And yeah. it's, it's within me. I'm competing within myself for quality. And, um, yeah. I feel also that, um, like, I've been going through the, like, number of things have been coming back to, but it's, you know, the, I think the bad place I can be as an artist is when, or anybody can be, when you're constantly, you're not, like, living your life or pursuing what you need to be doing or you're miserable in the pursuit because you're caught up with where you should be mm-hmm. instead of focusing on doing the work yeah like the best thing you can do is just do the work and it's like maybe the work that you're currently doing is going to be your best work maybe though the work that you're currently doing is important because doing that piece your best work is going to be the piece that comes after that work. But you have to do that current piece first. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, you don't know where it goes, but you have to do the work. And it's going to lead, it's going to lead places, you know? And sometimes, surprisingly, the best work from that super focused effort is the sketches on the yeah. side that you completely did not recognize as valuable. Yeah. And then you realize they had that complete lack of intention, but they were in the moment. Right. And they're there teaching you more about the subconscious than you ever would have gotten from that super focused conscious effort. Um, So that's another cool thing about art is sometimes the tailings in the studio mean more to you in the end than the finished work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing I would say is uh, I'm always curating. I'm always looking, looking at ideas, looking at people. So I know you're an entertainer. You should come and tell me what you do beyond the variety show here. Or Or let's put a live variety show on during Bushwick Open Studios or something like that. You know, I'm always into cross-discipline programming. Makes makes this a a space that's alive. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, we will. We'll talk about all those things. Um, Do you have any final thoughts? No, it's just that um, I am embarking on uh, much sooner than I thought, and it's hopefully coming in the nick of time, (laughs) because I was getting tired doing this by myself, but this partnership. uh, What's interesting about Michael is um, he has a real storied, in-depth background as an artist and a musician here in New York. And he has a strong tradition and curatorial eye bent on abstract expressionism. And I'm more of a geometric, hard-edged, color theorist type. And um, so these two distinctive voices are going to try and come together. And um, I think it, it's going to make for a much broader range of programming. and should be very rich in diversity and hopefully teaching people even more, much more than I could have done on my own, that's for sure. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Yeah. I, collaboration, you know, that's what Always. it's about. It is. I'm just glad that, and I guess the other thing I want to say about Bushwick is that I do tell artists, because I live in Connecticut still and I commute in, um, is that this is the best place to get your start in the city right now. If you want to be noticed and you want to be on a working on a serious level, you should be hitting up 
Bushwick Galleries uh, with your work and entering that community because you'll have opportunities that'll lead to much bigger and bigger things for you pretty quickly in New York. It's a good place to get your start. Cool. Yeah. That sounds like a perfect place to, to cap it. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for sitting down and talking with me. You too. I appreciate your time and your interest in coming and doing the full interview. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, Odetta and these artists. So it was great. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Yeah. So that was my conversation with Ellen Hackle Fagan from Odetta Art Gallery. Again, check it out this week if you're in the Bushwick area, 229 Cook Street here in Bushwick. See the final week of Data Out of Data 3 Sphere. My friends Chris Clapper and Patrick Gallagher from episode 34 a few weeks ago. Check that out. As Ellen said, Bushwick is a great place to be if you're an artist looking to get your start in New York City. Um, this is the place to be. It's been the place to be for a while. I love it. Um, love sharing these artists and these these places with you on here. Um, thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Please give me a rating, share, review. Um, and again, keep, keep doing your thing. Keep finding your art and sharing it with the world. We need it. We need to see it. So thank you very much for listening and have a good one. Peace. Peace.